When Shamrock Rovers got one back, tears came to my eyes. And we went two went up and I heard those thousands of Sligo people. I was proud and we went out and won. Best town in the world. Best town in the world. Best town in the world. More drama here. Gilali. North. Elding. 3-2. They've been looking for Stenson's head away at the far post. And over it comes Elliot. Stenson! One more. Hello and welcome along to episode 13 of the Bitter Red Supporters Trust podcast brought to you with thanks to Milligram on Wine Street in Sligo. Uh, this is a, a, a bonus, an extra long uh, podcast. We uh, have just finished uh, speaking to Ro- Sligo Rovers royalty, I think you might call him, um, former manager Willie McStay. It was uh, an incredible chat. He, he, his son tells me, don't worry about um, asking him any questions because he can talk for Scotland. And <laughs> we, we spoke to him for about an hour and a half and we probably asked him about four questions and he, he just he, he just took off. So we have a really great uh, chat with, uh, with Willie coming up. Um, hang around for that. And um, we have, um, well, it's been, you know, it's been a really positive week, I think, as well for the club. Um, it's myself, Connor Lynch, uh, Shane McGoldrick, McGill's here, and um, we have Sean Dunn. Uh, McGill, it's been a it's it, things are getting things are getting heating up, and they're getting kind of exciting from uh, a signings point of view, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Romeo, I think we all hoped he was going to come back, but I don't know if we ever believed it was going to happen. But yeah, it's excellent. It's great to have him back, and um, I think he's. I think he's definitely it's improved us straight away. Obviously, yeah. I think better than anything we had there. Not no disrespect to Junior or the, uh, but I think I think Romeo was Romeo showed his class last year. Was he was the I think top scorer in the league from open play was it? I read somewhere. Did he score? Or 11? Clive was in. I think yeah. Did he get eleven? He top scorer in the league. Yeah, from open play. So that's the kind of caliber we're bringing back in. Sure. Uh, Donner, he he. he... He, um, his directness, uh, his speed, uh, his strength—they're they're like they're all game-changing factors for the team, really, aren't they? Again, that's well, top attributes you need for a striker. Uh, he's exactly what we were crying out for all season this year. So to bring it into next season now and adding some more quality around him is just going to make a massive difference. He's a really exciting signing, and it's a really. Uh, how would you say it? It's a, uh, you know, it's a real positive intent. Which statement of intent? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. exactly how you put it there. So it is. It is. It's a statement of intent, and it just shows what way the the club are planning on going. I think. I think if he was to be, if you were to take the season that's just passed, and if you were to put Romeo into that, I think we would have had a very different season, even just with him alone. You know, those those games, um, you know, where we just failed to perform at any kind of level at all. I think, you know, just having Romeo alone in those games, we, we could have easily, our, our European qualification could have been sewn up weeks before the, the thing, the, the I, I thought, I thought he, that Junior might have had that impact when we were signing him. Yeah. Or I was hoping that he might have had it. It just didn't work out for... But he's very different players. They're very different players. 
they are very different players in there, but I, I think in the whole, the way I was looking at it was in the partnership with Coughlin, I was hoping it would be the same. So a dynamic fellow like Junior and Romeo and wanting to get in behind, that it, it, I was hoping it would work the same. It never did, like, but, you know, it's don't have to worry about that now, do we? Yeah. No, so, I think, I think, though, I think, I think for, me, for me, anyway, I think it's imperative to get, to get the best out of Romeo next year is to sign Coughlin back. Yeah. Do, do you, would you agree with that, Donner? Yeah, yeah. It's hard not to agree with that. We saw that partnership last season, what it was, what it was capable of. And I think, again, with the likes of Niall Moran and the development that he's coming into, and if we can add another couple in the midfield and support them even further that way, Coughlin and, and Romeo, I, th- I think anything is possible. Genuinely, that, those two together are really, they are, they're brilliant. So for the most part, the the kind of the the defense is pretty much sorted um, with uh, Buckley, Mahan, uh, Banks. I know Donlan is listed on the uh, free agents, the PFAI kind of free agents list. So um, there might have to be um, some work in the kind of left back position. But if you put if you put the defensive side of things aside, is the net, is the main focus now from a recruitment point of view on midfield? Has to be. It has to be. It's been our weakest point now for the last couple of years. It's where we've lost an awful lot of games and where we haven't been able to impact games in certain ways where even where the opposition mightn't have been that good but have held us to, to draws where we just can't get a grip on a game and just grab it by the scruff of the neck and just take it on that extra level. I think midfield is, a, and it's a creative midfielder is what we're lacking especially. A number two especially. Okay, so uh, something different to Moran ago. Yeah, I think someone to to link to to link to midfield with the with the front line rather than Moran Moran seems to he's the he's the link between defence and midfield. Mm. But I'd like like someone, you know, someone who can play in the half turn and see little balls around the corner and down the sides and uh even a man who can build an nifty footwork, he can take on a man if he's caught in a tight spot and stuff like that. Just one of them type of footballers, you know. One someone who can be press. Yeah, yeah, we've all similar type of players, you know. But like, I'd like someone who's who wants to who wants to, to to wants to feed the strikers and wants to set up chances and wants to create. And like, I was very disappointed when the when the talk of Merky coming and then yeah. he went to Drada, was it? Did he go to Drada? Yeah, yeah. Like, so, someone like him, little some a footballer in that mold was. I yeah. think especially, you know, as Magoo was saying there, someone who can just find those little passes in between the lines and that, especially with you, where we played this season was basically a style of counter, counter-attack in football. Whereas if we can get someone on the, on the ball quickly in midfield, you can get the ball moving straight away because that's where we really lacked it this season is when the, we'd win possession back in a dangerous area. But in midfield, we were so slow on the ball. We took too many touches on it. And it just allowed teams to regroup again and close us down again. Whereas if we have someone who can just be quick, two touch gone, and the gone on the second touch, even gone on the first touch. So depends on the level of player you get. Donner, with uh, with Romeo coming back, and if we do sign Coughlin, we're probably going to go back to the kind of two up front again. So what does that mean for formation wise for the for the rest of the team? Do you think? Oh, hard to know. It's, it, Buckley seems to like that four two three. Well, we had no, we played. That didn't like, go. We didn't play that last season as well. You have to remember Twardek was there last season. Mm. Or, sorry, the season before, yeah, when the boys were there. Yeah. 
the so, quarter played on the right with, with Coughlin and Romeo, so... Yeah. You know, personally, I'd like to see us going, bringing things more centrally and not going as wide, but it's all, I suppose, it depends on what players are brought in now during the off-season. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I suppose... Yeah, it's a statement of intent. And I think also when we're trying to attract new, well, if we're trying to attract those midfielders in, uh, having the likes of Romeo on board is a real, um, you know, it's a real enticement for potential midfielders. So are you hoping to get more experience from within the league, Magoo? Do you want to see signings who are League of Ireland players? Yeah, I think. Like it's all well and good taking punts on these fellas from afar but you don't know what you're going to get and and you know you could be talking 10 5 10 12 games for that to settle into the league properly and stuff but we don't we we want to consolidate next year and and i mean consolidate our position in the top four we want to be in your getting european spots again next year so i think bringing in experienced league of ireland fellas lads who know the league good players and just push on again like you know maybe you might have one, bring in one or two, maybe, or the odd lad every now and then. But I think in the main, I think most of our signings, we should be looking with it. Now, that's not to say it can be, it's possible. Like, we know what it's like in this league for lads from Dublin looking for outrageous money to come down this end and that. So mm. it's not a, it's not always possible. Like, it's we yeah. might have to go further afield. But I'd like us to, if it, if it was possible, to get... And there's some, there's some good players around that, that you'd be thinking might be attainable, like, yeah. you know, but it's, Who all you, about, it's all about the Benjamins, isn't it? Uh, we're going to get stuck into um, our interview with uh, Willie McStay. This is the 13th episode of the Bitter Red Supporters Trust podcast brought to you by Milligram Coffee and Wine Street Sligo. Uh, we're really grateful for the support that they provide. You can check out milligram.ie. We started off by asking Willie about the strong connection that his family has with Celtic Football Club. Listen, Willie, thanks a million for giving us the time or giving us your time. Uh, The first thing I wanted to talk to you about is the connection that your family has with Celtic Football Club. Uh, Am I right in saying that your family have been directly involved with the club for over 100 years? Yeah, I think we've reached that milestone now as well. uh, Jimmy and Willie McStay. Well, the original, uh, our great, great uncles, and uh, you no know, played, and actually Jimmy actually uh, uh, managed the club as well for a short spell during the war. So if you look at the amount of appearances I've got, they were there for many years, and we're still lots of the club then. And it's through through obviously knowing the history of you no know, the great uncles, uh, like you no know, that helped me capture you no know, football really and the love for Celtic as well. Uh, my father, John, makes the, like, no, many a trip and many a good time he had over in Sligo, uh, watching us in the cup final and all that. But you know, sadly, he's passed away. But he was a, a fine footballer in his own right uh, and trials professionally. And uh, to be fair, my, my father was actually the, kind of the inspiration. Uh, he could pass on all the stories from, you know, from the... Uh, Know the early thirties and knowing Jimmy and Willie as a person as well, and uh, it was fantastic. You no, know, to hear all these stories, uh, you know the good times, the bad times, but you no know, vividly uh, described to us. So as young kids, you no, know, you're impressionable, and uh, 
that was a love affair right away. So it was uh, always in their mind. Uh, I think uh, my father gave up playing football. Uh, he was offered a trial with Celtic and also uh, to play for Patrick Thistle on the, the same night. And uh, the thinking behind it for my dad was that him being a defender, he's going to be under pressure by Celtic and be able to show up. Uh, but what happened was they get, oh, they get soundly beat 5 0 when uh, the striker Joe McBride scored a hat trick and uh, he said it was unstoppable. And after that, he moved to Kilmarnock for a trial. And to be fair, like, I think bringing us up as a family, he gave up his own career and he became a very good coach and was sought after at that time as well. So it's been in the blood. Uh, and you know, obviously, my brother Paul and, and Raymond, the three years for a short spell were all on Celtic's boots as uh, professionals, and I don't think that's been done. So, you rightly said, 100 years uh, away back, you know, from the, you know, the early 20s, and uh, like here we are the now, and it's uh, I'm sure there could be a book somewhere. <laughs> so, is there, is there any is there any of the next generation? On to uh, John is uh, he was a uh, was Celtic Academy uh, and done really well and uh, he was offered a, a short term contract to go pro at Motherwell uh, offered him a three year contract and he decided to go there he just felt it was at the right time and uh, he got bad shoulder injuries uh, I think you some of you might know John from coming over with the soccer schools. And he had a, a young team over that played at the showgrounds in a tournament as well. So he's now a coach for Celtic uh, and doing very well. Uh, my second oldest, yeah, he tried to play, but uh, he was always known as Wee Mark. And uh, he's now they get released from Celtic and the United. Talented, everybody uh, said he was talented, but he was too small. He didn't have the athleticism. He's now six foot three and can run like the wind. But he's gave he's gave up the game. So my youngest one's enjoying just enjoying uh, uh, like you no know, social grassroots football with now and it keeps them fit, keeps them occupied. So yeah, and then um, you never know. My oldest son John, they've just uh, announced a few weeks ago that they're going to have a baby. So you never know. You never know. You never Listen, know. Um, congratulations to to John, and I just want to say thanks to him as well because um, he was the kind of intermediary. Uh, who helped to hook us up for um, for the podcast today? So so thanks to him and um, very best of luck um, with. The- I might be listening. You can tell him <laughs> yourself, Connor. <laughs> um, so when you were growing up, um, was there pressure on you because of the history that was in the family um, associated with the football club, or just associated with playing football? So was there a pressure when you grew up? I think I think uh, they were asked that question uh, or a similar question. Uh, how did we feel growing up in Latcall? Now, wh- where we come from is notorious uh, a Ranger supporting town, uh, and for ourselves uh, having the name McStay, like and when we you no know, we, we came from like you no know, the the young age into primary school and started playing football, like you no know, the name within the football community. Would, would be there, they, they were interested to see, oh, that's a boy McStay, you know, their uncles played, our great uncles played for Celtic. So that's how it started. Uh, but within ourselves, you no, know, it was always there, like 
kicking a ball since you could walk and like no practicing out out the you no know, in the cul-de-sac that we called it. And it's only in latter years that you realise what the neighbours put up with. You no, know, the thud of a ball against a gable end wall doesn't sound loud outside, but when you're actually in that house, and one of our neighbours done that, they took us into their house and we could hear the thud of the ball. Some of the boys had hit it off the wall and they said, that's what we have to put up with every night, every <laughs> day of the week. And, uh, but that, that was our kind, kind of grounding, you know, playing about in the scheme uh, and then into the, the, well, the school teams and boys clubs. And I mentioned earlier, that's when my dad, when we started to show promise that he kind of gave up his own career and uh, became the coach at a team called Meadowhill United. And like uh, we played in red, white and blue. So it wasn't the first strip on as a Celtic strip. It was uh, the red, white and blue. And uh, with the school team, I'll tell you a wee story about that one. Uh, I thought we were doing well and it was the first time that the St Mary's Lark Hall got to the cup final uh, of the regional cup. And uh, it was a big, a big momentous occasion for us all. And the the this, the, the ground was full. There must have been thousands there. And uh, anyway, the the games played, and we win it. We played against uh, it was Glen Gown, I'm sure it was, and uh, we won the cup. It was the first time in 38 years. But guess who was the man in the match? Not me, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Paul was only eight years old. Uh, and we were all 11, so it was, it's nearly a three-year gap between myself and Paul. So as an eight-year-old, he was a he was a superstar. Uh, everybody knew Paul, and you know, obviously went through our careers like you no know, together, uh, and it, it was special. And to see a like you no, know, I'm in the recruitment game and development game uh, at the moment, and the only person I can relate to that had that pressure was Ed McGeady. No, I was in as a, when I left Sligo uh, and was ahead of the development and this wee kid could do things and you just knew he was a special talent. When I was signing for Celtic, yeah, Notts Forest were coming in through the front door. They travelled up, we'd made agreement to to sign uh, and just before like, they arrived, come walking in the door was Sean Fallon and uh, David McParland, the assistant manager of, of Celtic. And uh, when they came in, that was it. You know, all the stars and everything was uh, aligned that I was going to sign with Celtic and everything went great. But as they walked out the door after signing me, the Knott's Forest uh, contingent walked in and it was uh, a surreal moment. And uh, my father got a letter from Brian Clough to say, like, no, we knew if Celtic came in that we wouldn't get them. And uh, that was my story of how I signed. Uh, and the letter my, my father kept kept that as well. It was just a, a lovely, a lovely, uh, it was like a, a typical Brian Clough thing where he said, uh, we always knew he was going to go. I'll be disappointed and angry if I have to pay a six uh, figure sum for him. And, that, and that's, no, in his humour, that that was that was good, but that was the start of me going through my career at Celtic and uh, making uh, my first league 
start at Celtic was against uh, Rangers. And obviously that was massive for the family. Uh, Paul had uh, made the first team before me, been an exceptional talent. But for the two years to be playing in the same team, it was a, a magic moment for the family. Willie, just going back there when Nott's Forest came in for you, how did it feel as a player to have a manager of the legendary status of Brian Clough being so complimentary about your abilities as a player and wanting to sign you so desperately? Yeah, like, no, it was uh, at that time, obviously, being uh, captain of Scotland Schoolboys, there was a lot of interest uh, in us, and uh, it was at Everton, Leeds, uh, Man United, as I said. Uh, Man United seemed massive to me at the time. Leeds United was good, Everton. Uh, but there was a, a kind of togetherness for us at that time, a nice atmosphere. Uh, uh, you were treated very important. You, you, I wasn't one of many, if you know what I mean. You know, yeah. When you go for a trial, there was myself and another colleague, Colin, Colin Walsh, who actually signed for them. But when you went to the other clubs, they were turning like more players in and out. So the personal thing was good. I actually trained with the first team uh, as a 15, 16-year-old. That, that's how they done it, you know, to try and impress you, to engage you. And it's the same just now, like the, the most important thing, you No, know, I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of Irish boys coming over to, to Celtic. You know, for us, it's, you, you've got to try and show them who you are, what your club's about and be open uh, and win over the kids uh, and the parents' hearts and minds, really. You no, know, it's not always about and at that stage, uh, you know, the financial contract. It's the most important thing. I think uh, a big factor is the stability of the of the club, uh, where they feel it's a, a positive environment for them, a good uh, learning environment, and no, that's where we are. And what we keep saying: what you see is what you get. No, and just treat people the right way. And I felt that for us, and uh, that's where I was going until Sean Fallon walked up the pathway. Another slide, a big Sligo legend. Uh, so what was it that close you could have you could have gone to Forest? Yeah, because I didn't know until uh, they walked in through the door that they wanted me to sign. It's okay. a real moment, and there was no hesitation. That was it. And then obviously Paul followed, and uh, obviously Raymond as well. Uh, so yeah, a big a big part of uh, our lives. In fact, massive uh, part has been Celtic Football Club. And. Um, where you're, you played midfield, but is that where you saw yourself playing before you turned professional? Is that where you wanted to? Yeah, in, in their days, you'll know that the, like, uh, it was quite regular that there would be a big centre back and the sweeper. Well, that was my position, the sweeper, where you could read the game, uh, like, no, intercept things, hopefully play play out from the back in the days and step forward. Uh, but uh, as it trans transpired at Celtic, uh, the two players that I would have to oust from the team were uh, Danny McGrain, one of the world's best ever fullbacks, and Roy Aitken, oh, nicknamed Feed the Bear. So <laughs> that was the two positions they played. So I, I broke into the team and I played centre, you know, the sweeper role. 
And uh, because I'd done well in the initial, the game was an extended run and Roy was moved into fit mid, midfield. But Roy being Roy, he knew his best position was centre-back. So I'm the young one, I come back out. When Danny got injured, I would go in for him. And uh, I've had a good run, they would move Danny to left back, if you know what I mean. So two Celtic legends. And I think I would have played more games if it w the timing was at a different era. Uh, but two two fantastic players, and that's who I was trying to use from the team. So that that um, debut was in Ibrox. Um, what is it like walking? No, it was Celtic. Celtic. Oh, was it? it was, oh, sorry. It was okay. Big one. Yeah, I played. Uh, I'll tell you how I made my debut. My debut was uh, I wasn't in the squad the week before, and I got a phone call at twelve o'clock uh, from uh, David Hay. He was a manager. He says, uh, get your backside in here. You're starting. That was at 12 o'clock. So he said, Tom McAdams uh, phoned in, he's ill. So as we didn't have a car at the time, uh, so we had to get into Celtic Park. Uh, and basically, that was your preparation. Get in here as fast as you can. You're playing. So when it in through the door, you're sitting in the dressing room. And that's it. So it was a, a League Cup tie against Brecon. Uh, it was nil-nil. So you can tell one good thing was it was a clean sheet. But <laughs> you can tell the crowd weren't happy with the result. And uh, the midweek we played against Airdrie in the second League Cup game. And the following Saturday is uh, 67,000 at Celtic Park. Just thrown into it. And it was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Like it's it's hard to it's hard to kind of imagine. Were you prepared for walking out of the pitch uh, your first time at Celtic Park in front of the the sixty odd thousand? Yeah, I think uh, going in and obviously with Paul being in the first team earlier than myself and like you no, know, as a defender, it's harder to break into the first team at a younger age. You no, know, unless you're man mountain and a big athlete. You no, know, and basically. basically it was an opportunity and I must admit at that particular time, I didn't feel any nerves. It was more mainly pride and excitement. I think once you're established in the team, there's a, a bigger expectation for you and that's where you can get the pre-match nerves. That's how my early career went. It was so exciting and something you'd waited so long for uh, and uh, really enjoyed it. And we went on to win the game 2-1. And if you know Celtic fans, if, if you're in a team that beats Rangers, you're accepted right away. And they did that. And as time goes on, they've become more, uh, you know, look at your, your game more in-depth and more critically as well, because they're always expecting uh, the best. But to break through as a young kid, it's a special feeling. Um, listen... We're um, we're going to have to fast forward a little bit because we'll be here all night otherwise. So, um, um, wh what were your first? Um, where where did when did Sligo Rovers first kind of enter? Apart from Sean Fallon walking in uh, as a significant Sligo man uh, at the start of your 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 playing days, but where where did Sligo Rovers come in? Um, you know, in around nineteen ninety three, what was the first contact, or or how did that come about? Right, I, get, I was at Kilmarnock at the time and my contract was finishing at the end of the, the season and they offered me a, a, another one-year contract. Uh, great club, 
Tommy Burns been there, Jim Fleeton, uh, everything was fine. Uh, but I knew I was in and out of the team at the time. So I get called into the manager's office and uh, just out of the blue. And uh, he said, look, we've had a phone call from a representative of Sligo Rovers. Uh, they'd like to talk to you about uh, the manager's job, our player manager. And uh, like, no, the, it was the guy, Jerry Cassidy. I don't usually know Jerry. You know, Jerry done yeah. tremendous work for me uh, when I was over there. So that was the first contact. And uh, through talking to Jerry, uh, Kevin Colreby, Kevin Dykes, all get involved and they invited me over. And uh, when I came over, like uh, it was surreal as well. I think at that stage, I'd done all my licenses uh, in coaching uh, ahead of the, the game, really. You know, I'd been, been doing it the previous years. I'd started doing a little bit of part-time coaching at Kilmarnock uh, for the part-time players. Uh, although we were full-time, and I was looking at what they're doing next, and I just loved the game, and uh, like you felt as if you no know, coaching was a way forward, and you're excited about the future, but I never, ever expected anything like a phone call to, to be a player manager at the time, uh, and that, that was it. When I came over, I met uh, the two Kevins in the Southern Hotel, and uh, they took me down to St. Pat's, uh, that was the first game, uh, standing in the, the stand with a black coat on. And I think if, if I remember somebody said the man in black, that type of thing. So uh, that, that's what it was. And, uh, so was, were, were you, were you, uh, you were interested in it straight away? Right away, yeah. That, no, that's why I came over. Uh, and they, they were very clever because they took us to the nice hotel, the, drove us down in a nice car that took us to the game and they're telling us like no uh, the pitch was really boggy and they're telling me no they're not all like that but the one thing they did was they never took me to the showgrounds <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the secret ploy and I, I said that to, to them after it uh, they said oh the pitch is in great condition they've got great uh, groundsmen uh, nice stand <laughs> uh, unbelievable of course, there was, there was no Google the, to... The cabin that, you, you know, what I ended up walking into. So it was uh, it was funny, but uh, it was something I wanted I wanted to do. And I've seen it uh, as a, a big gamble, but it's something that uh, i also seen as an opportunity. Because if I was going to stay in football after being a player, like uh, this, this was a, a pathway that has came as an opportunity to me so early. Uh, and like, no, you're still at that time, like, no, get a bit to do in terms of, uh, you no, know, playing the game, but I wanted to stay in the game. That was the most important thing, the thing that uh, was a big, a big uh, factor in it as well, so, to give me some more time. So you, you arrived in 93, um, Dermot Keeley had resigned. Uh, Chris Rutherford is caretaker uh, manager at the time. Uh, they're in the Premier Division, but they're they're getting relegated. So, when did you arrive in? What was the situation? Uh, what was the squad like? I mean, I, I don't, I can't actually remember at what stage in '93 yeah. you arrived. Well, the, there was another thing that I moved in, moved into, and uh, it was a bit of a surprise as well. Like 
you go and in, in your own heart you're saying like I can improve the team, I can get them you know, organised, I can get them play, I can try and lift the spirits uh, of them as well because obviously the position they were in uh, try to bring in some fresh faces as well to you know, stimulate the dressing room so it's confident you, you could do that uh, but one of the most important things was uh, like you no know, Chris Rutherford being there uh, the first time I met him like you no know, it was a case of do you want Chris with you or, or not you know, the Kevins have said what you know, what we can do and Chris is just a gentleman uh, hard working uh, and it was fantastic for me as an assistant manager and like you no know, one of the hardest things I had to do when I came to the club was uh, talk to Fago. Uh, and uh, in my mind, I'm saying like, no, Fago has to stop playing. I want him to develop the young, you know, the young players. So I made sure Big Chris was with me when I told him that. <laughs> you know, Fago, Fago, but I, I don't know, is he still playing just now? <laughs> not far off. He's not uh, far off. Yeah. And again, like, no, that's where I was lucky uh, when I came in with Chris and and Tony, who were great Sligo men as well, and could tell me. No things that other people couldn't, and uh, no, I'm grateful for them for the partnership we had during that time as well. So uh, many a laugh we had, and many a like no, like you could say great moments. Uh, but the squad, I, I just remember uh, uh, Dennis Bonner, and it was. Do you remember a player, Pascal Keane? I don't remember Pascal Keane. Right, no. He played. He played for Saint. St. Pat's and it was one of the early games and Pasco he was a renowned uh, League of Ireland player went down tried to win a penalty and uh, Dennis just stood over him and he grabbed him with the scruff of the neck and lifted him <laughs> off the ground and that's when I knew this is a different ball game <laughs> <laughs> this is a different ball game and uh, so it and also in the early days, I realised that you know, the commitment that some of the players were putting in, I'll use Dennis as another example, but I, I drove up to his house to re-sign him. And uh, he says, before he said anything, I says, said to him, I know, I know. It was just, uh, it was pulling on him too much, you know, the, the travel and uh, the commitment it was going, go, going through. And I also realised as well that, no, when we're travelling down to Cork or Cove or Limerick or Waterford, no, the part-time players uh, at the club, uh, it's difficult for them getting back early hours in the morning and like Marty and Donald, uh, McDonald, like no, getting up early and Johnny Kenny to go and do a shift, that type of thing. So I realised like I had to change a little bit as well. But that first year was was difficult. We were cut off at the bottom. We got to the last game uh, against Shamrock Rovers and uh, no, we needed to win and I'm sure it was a draw in that game so that that put us down so that was a sore a sore uh, moment for us because we had improved uh, but the, the makeup of the team after that game no like I was uh, no, down in the dumps and sitting in the wee office over in the near the corner flag, that was where my my office was, and uh, it was tough. No, I spoke to the team. That was us down, and uh, went over there, and there was that 
emotional kind of tears in my eyes as well. Like this is like no, it's not what I wanted in the first year. Uh, we did improve, but it wasn't enough to keep us up. And uh, there was a, a lot of hard, you know, thoughts going through. And I, I think at that time as well, uh, looking back at big decisions I made, the biggest decision I made was to bring my wife and family over because it could have been easy. Like, no, if you're not, if you've not got that commitment, no, to to doubt yourself or doubt the club or doubt the players, but having that strength behind you and then the kids at school, like, no, the one thing, and we'll go back to Sean Fallon. Uh, I, I phoned him up after the initial interest and I spoke at length to Sean and I, he says, look, when you go there, he says, be one of the people. I won't put on his accent, but you know how that would have sounded. And that always stuck with me. Go there, be yourself, be one of the people. And uh, like, no, you'll be fine. Uh, and uh, there was a message in that. And th in fact, there's more than one message in that. And I think that's what got us through that spell. And uh, like, no, over the hurdle, of a uh, and I knew I had to do it my way after that, and I think if you, if you know what we did, we when I got there there was half the team training in Dublin mm -hmm. and half the team in Sligo, and and, and that was no it was only going to lead to like no further uh, put it this way it was going to be hard to improve it so. What we did was we sat down, uh, spoke to the two Kevins during the summer, Jerry Cassidy, and we went looking how we could how we could get a young, ambitious team for the same budget. Basically, that's what we're trying to do. And I, what what we did was I wanted to work with the players every day, uh, and we managed to get the FOSS scheme into the showgrounds. So like Trevor Scanlon, uh, Big Pierce, uh, Devaney, the Runners, Lynch, uh, the Runners, uh, even Lynch, added to Porrig Moran, well, Hasty and all the boys that you know. Uh, so we had a training group, but there were some obviously uh, boys who, uh, like Marty, Gavin, had good jobs, you know, within the you know, the local area, but they could they could get to us, and we we created a like a, a professional environment. Uh, no, with no no real extra cost, and the advantage of the the FOSS scheme uh, given is uh, that opportunity. And like no, while I'm talking about that, in my mind, I see we Mickey and Andy, like in the mind of now, because they were with us every every day, and uh, like no, the boys loved them, and it went it went both ways. So we had a, we actually had a team spirit with a camaraderie. Uh, and the most important thing was the boys who were out of town, you know, the Scottish lads, and well, they lived in the town. And one thing that got on me was, like, uh, in the early days, if we lost a game, I'm walking through Sligo Town and, you know, down in the dumps. But I don't know what my players are like, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know yeah. what they're doing. When, when the boys come in, into Sligo, uh, they get close to the local guys uh, who were brilliant. Uh, you know the way they welcomed them into the team. 
and the spirit just built and built and built and you no know, that helped us kick on as that uh, you know, 93 94 season like you no know, transpired and they could go and enjoy a beer on a Saturday night when they won but people would tell them as well and they didn't like nobody yeah. likes being criticised and I think that brought the best out of them as well and well, the bonding was fantastic Magoo, you often tell this. Well, you tell the story of um, the the bus coming into the showgrounds during Dermot Keeley's time, and the lads hopping out the back of the, the van. Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't a bus. Yeah, it was a van. We highest van, and they all getting out of it. Yeah, and about six of them in the back of it. That, a a van down from Dublin of six lads, and they bail out of the back. They go yeah. play the game, and then they disappear again. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we 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 had stories as well. Like no, a lot of them, a lot of the boys. Uh, by Walsh and there were so, so many of them they're, they're good lads but uh, for me it had to change from and if it didn't change that that could have been like no a kind of moment where you, you don't want to be a coach or a manager that's having to yeah. what could you say like succumb and, 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 and accept what is there if it's yeah. not your standard so hopefully I drove them like no Forward and I must admit, like Kevin, the two Kevins did everything to help me. So. Well, he just... it, it wasn't, it wasn't a great start to the, the league the next season in the first division either. Yeah, until, we're putting it together. The lights what came on. Did, yeah, you're right. What, what we did was uh, like, you no, know, a real tough uh, pre season, uh, like uh, over Strand Hill uh, with plenty of games. But the new group was forming, wasn't it? Uh, and look at look, we, we go and we, we win the treble. Uh, but if you remember, uh, Glenmore Celtic, you no, know, we, we couldn't do enough to win the game at home. And like, you no, know, you're, you're thinking going down there. But the game being at Daily Mount was perfect for us. And, and uh, no, we got we got the win. And you could see every game improvement. And you know the the triggers that for me, like uh, the Finn Harps game four 0 the the floodlights going on, the town engaging with could the you, team. Could you feel brilliant? Could you feel a different buzz? Could you feel a different buzz after that weekend? After oh, this, amazing, I, amazing as, a fan, as a fan, as a fan, it's just it, I've never seen anything like it. I never the club just totally changed in my eyes over the flick of a couple of switches. It was just unreal. The difference in the atmosphere of the, even the showground itself, when you walked into it, the atmosphere of it, but the difference of the atmosphere in the pitch, in the stands, like, and the team looked like 10%, 15% better than they did the week before, just under the yeah. lights. It was just crazy. It was just... And, and you know yourself, there was a bigger crowd that, that, that day. Yeah. You know, what we did, I came in to the club and uh, the previous week, uh, the gate money was 500 punts. It was punts in, in their days. Like now, there was thousands at that game, and you know yeah. what it ended up like uh, in the cup ties. No, oh, the fences collapsing. There, yeah. there must be yeah. five, six, seven thousand there. It was amazing the turnaround. But you're right that the floodlights turning on the switch, it did turn on the switch for the players as well. Yeah. Uh, there was a better atmosphere. They thrived in it. Uh, they felt special. You no, know, when they won, and uh, no just gained in confidence, but it was the way they played. You know, they, we had a style of play. We, we, we played with 
Forig Morning Morning and Johnny Johnny Kenny, then with the uh, Jerry Carr and Hasty. The balance of the team, you no, know, was, was great. You no, know, the experience with Gavin and Marty, uh, like you no know, myself playing at fullback as well, being able to talk and like you know, up front, uh, Eddie Anand, uh, then with Gavadini. And the one one player. that missed out uh, was Big Jer Hulahan. As yeah, well, yeah. Ian Lynch was cover and Pierce Devane and like no Jerry Kelly, David Reed. No, so Willie, when I look at that and name their players, I light up because every one of them had energy and and they played with no fear and they gave every ounce they had, whether it be a good result or a bad result. But the team before were laboured. There wasn't a lot yeah. of pain in the team uh, and. Like maybe energy had been round the, the league before that type of thing, so the change made the big difference. Uh, in the summer, there, there was a big reaction. In terms of getting the players across, like the likes of Ricardo Gaviadini, Mark McLean, Eddie Anand, like they, they were players that had no right to be playing in the first division in Ireland. They were absolutely sensational footballers. How hard was it to convince them to sign for Sligo Rovers without a big financial package available either? Yeah, but like I knew them. Like you no, know, with Eddie, uh, I knew Eddie well. Jerry Kelly and uh, Reedy were were at Kilmarnock when I was there. Glider, big big mark. Like you no, know, what a goalkeeper! What a goalkeeper! What a character as well. He's some boy. Uh, but he, like, when you look at when he came over. Like no Nicky Bridges, the goalkeeper, and there's a uh, uh, Tony Blake there as well. Uh, but as a, as, a, as a manager, you're looking for stability there as well in competition. And when Glider came in, he just won the jersey. And obviously, then uh, Nicky went to Cliftonville because you know, he needed to play. It was at a level where you no know, sitting in the bench wasn't. Uh, good for him. So the glider coming in, but again, a great character. Uh, like worked his socks off. Like no, they just gelled. And when you look at when he came in, people question that. And we don't win the cup if he or, or it goes into extra time. You know what I mean? The save he had and what five five minutes yeah. ago or something was amazing. Uh, and. Uh, like he keeps saying to me, we had a wee tour around the, the stadium when we went. It was brilliant to see the Wall of Fame. And he's raging he's not up on it, by the way. What <laughs> 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 a, a laugh we had when we're over because uh, like, oh, the boys were saying, how did he get on it before you, Glider? And all that. <laughs> so that's a standing joke. We've got a, a chat room that uh, we go, especially uh, after last year as well. And uh, the, that spirit that You've seen, a, you know, a team in Sligo have in their days. They've still got it. A year, just over a year ago, we were down at the cup final, obviously in Sligo, and it was just as if, you know, you'd, you know, seen each other a, a week before. It was just bang together, a great, a great gelling. It was brilliant. And at what stage in the se- in that season, Willie, did you think that something special was happening? I think. Uh, and I actually, uh, I went through the card and uh, marked how many points we needed from each game. Uh, and it was round about the floodlight starting 
it just felt as if like they're fit. That was one thing they were. They were fit. We've got a pattern in the play now, but now they're confident. And uh, I felt something could happen. And like you no, know, the I think uh, the crowd enjoyed the Saturday nights. It became part of the you no know, the kind of night out. You no know, for. I was going to say for the, the guys, but a lot of women uh, turned up at the games as well and children. So it was to the game and then a, a few drinks in the pubs. And like from that, there's a real positivity. Uh, and I think uh, the the shield at the Christmas New Year period, when we get through to the final, that was, that was massive for us. Uh, we were playing well and... Like, no, the way it worked out, it, no, I think that was a real trigger that this could be something special this year. We were doing well in the league, but we were uh, trailing Athlone. Uh, I think it was due to games. And uh, we went down to Athlone. Uh, in fact, we, we virtually won the league down there. No, we won promotion down at Athlone. Uh, but you look at the cup run, it seemed to be one, one big game after another. And... No, the, the stadium was get you no, know, uh, was getting fuller and fuller every, every every game, whether it be the the league. But winning the shield was a massive thing because it gave a great belief uh, to all the players. And uh, we had uh, you no, know, obviously Cove, uh, Limerick, and then Cork. You no, know, the way it all worked out. You no, know, they were Premier League teams at the time and. The, the one thing that goes missing about that that season, and uh, like it was when I came back from uh, the trip last year, we've won a treble. We should have beat Derry City in the Brad the Brandywell. It was one of our best performances uh, at that particular time, and I think that was uh, the the League Cup it was at the semi final, and we were outstanding. And you know, that was the the game. That uh, out of all the games that we played, that annoyed me when I come back and look at it because it's a game we should have won. No, so I'm not being greedy, but it, you would have been <laughs> another final, maybe a quadruple. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. But that was a big game. It was a big game. Uh, I think. I think really for well. me, the signing of the signing of Gabbiadini was the that just pushes or turns us from a team with potential into. Mm-hmm. That the winners, I think he was just how did that, that come about? Yeah, uh, again, like uh, like the rest of the boys, you were asking how we got them. There was a lot of the personal touch uh, to get the the Scottish lads over, uh, but Jerry Cassidy really helped us uh, and brought uh, Gabadini. What I done was I used to go through the list of uh, players from the PFA, you know, the English, the Scottish, you know, and, and look all the players and who who I knew uh, and who might be still looking for a club, uh, get recommendations. And obviously his brother, we knew the standard, so you know there, there would have been a, a you know, that, that kind of football, like you no know, brain in him as well. Uh, and we brought him over and yeah, just a lovely, lovely guy and uh, a, a very good footballer that maybe didn't reach the heights uh, that he should have in England, uh, although he did play at a high level, but maybe he could have went further because there is a talented boy. And I do agree with you, uh, Shane, that that was a big moment for us 
because it was adding to the you no know, to the the quality. It was yeah. adding to the goal threat. Yeah. But the other one was a uh, big Jeff Houlihan. Yeah. During during the winter months and you know when you're playing against the, the big centre backs, he was knocking them about and Eddie was you no know, picking up the pieces and as he was on you know, the clever movement. So yeah, and uh, no again part of the philosophy like no you need speed, uh, and I had that with Johnny and and Porig. Uh, you, you you need your hard man and Jerry Carr was the man, and uh, we we hasty. Martin McDonald going in there at times too, our left fullback. So there was a balance of good experience. There was pace and there was craft up top. And you don't win games unless you score goals. And we we then had, in that second half of the season, three goal scorers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pierce Devaney, you know, you've got to say, like, you know, the young kid worked his socks off uh, and, uh, and, and did really well scoring goals in the reserves, getting odd appearance uh, like, you know, on the bench with us. So people like that. And I also think like uh, you talk about you know, the group that won, won, the, won the league, but you don't do that without good people on the side as well. And it, and it, was, it was at that time very much a, a collective effort. We'll get on to the cup final in a second, but my one of my abiding memories of that season was uh, being at home and listening to the game in St. Mel's on the radio. And um, I think it was it was Declan Boyle and Gabbiadini who got the two goals there that pretty much sealed the the um, promote. Well, I don't know if it was a league winner promotion at that stage, but what are your memories from from that night in in Athlone? Hey, it was tough. Uh, the stadium's tight as well and what do I remember? I remember the end of the game, the relief uh, I know the game was a battle uh, we played really well and uh, it was a big relief because that was, a, that was a, the night we won promotion Yeah, that was it and uh, it was just a fantastic feeling because we were back where we should have been uh, and that that was the whole the whole uh, you know like task from day one was to get us back in the top flight and uh, to do that uh, under the circumstances and uh, to go there and, and and win promotion on their their patch was was brilliant. Uh, and Gabby Dean, Gabby Dean is goal. I can remember I can remember now the stands uh, the way it all looked and all that. But maybe being engrossed in the game, I just knew it was a tough game. And uh, so Gabadini's goal. Yeah, he then he then he he turned he turned the defensive out. He had been knots, and then he loved the keeper who was about only a yard off his line. And how he managed it <laughs> yeah. the edge of the box. Oh, it was class. Uh, Brilliant goal. He had a few moments, didn't he? He did have a few moments. Yeah. But, uh, now that. He'll, he'll remember it, that's for sure. He might be listening tonight as well. I've yeah. put it on the chat that I'm on here tonight. So they just kept saying, make sure you say something good. <laughs> but no, I hadn't to tell other stories. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll probably know these stories better than me. <laughs> they, they, they were clever. They hid a lot from me. Yeah. <laughs> Willie, uh, coming in as a player manager, it's... Uh... It's a strange thing now. It's something you'd never see these days. But back then, you'd done it with such, how would you say, confidence. And you laid 
both on the pitch and off the pitch. Uh, how was that for you as a player manager? Was it difficult sometimes not getting the full view from the sideline as yeah. you would? I'll, I'll tell you what I felt is like uh, if I would have went straight to being a manager uh, without maybe being a first team coach or a like assistant, uh, it might have been different. Uh, but what, what I felt is was I was able to communicate with the players and hopefully the way I treated them on the pitch and off the pitch, uh, like you no, know, they could they could uh, take the comments as well with Gavin, with uh, uh, Marty, you know, who had uh, like you no know, a lot of experience too. So that was a help. Uh, having Chris Rutherford on the side helped me enormously because he knew what I was thinking, he knew what I was doing, and never never at one stage made his decision, if you know what I mean. And yeah. When you're on the pitch, I trusted uh, Chris that the way he would talk on the pitch would be the same way as, as no, on the dugout, sorry, would be the same way as if I was standing next to him. I didn't have to question any motives or any personal uh, no opinions that he would override. Uh, and that, that was priceless to me. Uh, in terms of uh, managing the game was was good. Uh, getting and being able to, in the game, make changes uh, as well. And uh, it was a, a great, the way it works out is a, a great way to do it. Uh, I know Wayne Rooney's going through it. <laughs> Just, I'm not comparing myself to Wayne. You're <laughs> <laughs> better. More intelligence than that. Yeah, he's good to tackle a fixed up on, but anyway, uh, <laughs> he's a uh, like it can be difficult, but if you've got people who know the game plan, know what you're trying to do, it's a big, big relief to you and allows you to play and organise within the game. Uh, at half time, like no. We had a routine, what we do, like come in and like uh, take a deep breath and then talk about what we did. But most importantly, what we're going to do. I always think that's the most important thing I, I learned from managers that, that I know too many managers dwell on what happened, right? Rather than, hey, this is what we're going to do. And and that's how hopefully I went, uh, went about it. Uh, there was harsh words at times, but you don't need to be throwing bottles or, or whatever to do it and if you've got people who respect you but they'll only respect you if you respect them mm. and they'll accept more from you if they know it's uh, fair that that type of thing so as a manager that's what I tried to do uh, it worked for us uh, and uh, like my motivation and understood where they were coming from as well and especially the local boys and the part-time boys. I think that first season was a wake-up call of what it could be like, and I never wanted it to be like that again. So you said that you, you, you we were beaten by um, up in the Brandywell by Derry in, uh, in the, was the quarter-final or the semi-final of the League Cup. Were you trying to, um, were you, was it a case of retribution for the FAI Cup final then in Lansdowne? No, I think if, if you remember, uh, we, we finished early uh, our, our league games and there was a two-week gap uh, before you know, the, the cup final. 
But what happened was I was able to go up and watch them uh, play. Now, they had a lot of talented boys, uh, a strong, strong side, but you could see weaknesses in them as well and where we could maybe hurt them, and especially with uh, the way our strikers move and, and the pace of Johnny Kenny uh, on that side. And we tried to play a lot that way. But the feeling I got was like, no, I don't want to be disrespectful to them, but the thought they'd won it. No, they were going to win, uh, whether it was a lack of, uh, well, in a football term, I'll say, like they were overconfident, if you know what I mean. And what we did was we filled uh, that gap by, and you mentioned you know, at the start of the call, Celtic, the contacts I had uh, over in Glasgow. We, we went to Seamill, which was the home of Celtic before cup finals and big European games. That's where we went. No, to prepare, and then we'd go to uh, Hamden or Celtic Park for the European Games. No, from there, so that'd be your overnight stay in preparation. So we we took them away, and again, no, the club backed us on that, and obviously things were going well over the revenue that was coming in at the time as well. So with that trip, we trained at the national training ground. Uh, we went to the Celtic rally as a group, and the funny thing was, like, no. Eddie Annand, that wasn't his favourite out, if you know what I mean. No, no. <laughs> so, so uh, it was good, and we always get a uh, good bit of banter on that one as well. But they were treated like a full-time club. That's the point I'm putting across to you. But they reacted like that. And the games, and even Gavin Dykes has came to me and said, like, no, that, that was a, a big, big moment. Normally, we would have been training two nights a week during that uh, two-week period, and we wouldn't have been ready for it. But they were ready for it. They were ready for the occasion. Uh, we worked there on our shape. Uh, we knew what Derry were going to be like, and we even done set plays. And don't think that uh, Jerry Carr header was a, a fluke, by the way. That was worked on the training ground. <laughs> Honest, because they were going to that. They thought everything would be going to Gavin, and uh, we tried to release Jerry to get across people, but it was a perfect finish, wasn't it? Was that something that you spoke of, yeah. spoke about during well, the break? Was that something you could you could impose on Derry? Yeah, no, in the break, yeah, like it was mainly the style of play. I just thought that uh, the left fullback's experience, a boy McLaughlin, ex Celtic boy. Uh, and I think it was a boy Gold, or Gold, who mm -hmm. uh, was uh, Stuart, was it Stuart Gold? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was uh, in the kind of left centre-back area, and we just tried to suck him out and get the ball, like, no, played in, round the corner, and Johnny running, and it gave them a hard, a real hard time, and we, you know, we threatened that way. And I think you can see, that if you look back on it, the start of the game, uh, that we had being a division below them, like no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have thought that. Mm -hmm. No, we, we settled into the game really well. I, I do think, like no, in any cup final when you're one up, no, it can be nervous the last part of the game, and they did everything they could, no, to put pressure on us. And as we mentioned earlier, the, the save from Big Glider was, was a, well, that that's a save that wins you the cup. No, if it, if it doesn't, you're going to extra time, and it could have been different, but. Uh, I think we handled it well, the occasion, and we we enjoyed 
that preparation. No, even even things like uh, what could I say? Francis Mid Middleton took us everywhere in his wee bus, right? And the sing songs we'd have on the way back. Now I don't know Gardy's <laughs> listening, but he he would be playing the bugle like no, <laughs> or the trumpet and, and with one hand and everybody. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. And when it came to the cup final, uh, the club again trying to treat as well the big bus down down to uh, to Dublin, staying there the night before and preparing for the game. But uh, the night before the game, uh, like we were in the stadium, walking around it, and I, I told all the boys, right, enjoy it, go for a walk, go for a walk on the pitch, but make sure you go to the area of the pitch that you will be playing in tomorrow. No, if you're a a left back, Marty, go go into the left back corner, see the length of the pitch, just go and experience and go up to the other one, uh, that type of thing. Just get a feel so that when you go in tomorrow and you go up to that goal, like, no, it's not startling you or you're cut, no, you're in the corner, you can you no know, distances. Just a, a small thing that was in my mind. But the most important thing was Derry City came in after us. And there was us with uh, the wee bus. Right? <laughs> and they were laughing. They were laughing at us. They came in in this big plush, like all singing, all dancing, <laughs> like coach, right? everything there, fridges and cookers and whatever. Right? <laughs> and that was us. Like, no. And they they didn't know that we were actually laughing at them, if you know what I mean. Because uh, they were treating us as if, and we were saying, hey, that was part of the, the kind of uh, motivation. Yeah. As well, like no, let let them let them think we're a nobody. Let let them think we're second best. We'll show them tomorrow. And even coming out the tunnel, uh, I don't know if you know that, but they, they started singing. No, uh, they were singing in the the in the tunnel com, coming out, and all the other boys just the went. day of the game. Oh, I and the the day of the game actually going out onto the pitch, oh, and uh, it was like. Trying to intimidate as if that, that was, I don't know, I don't know why they did it. Uh, but you ask any of the boys now, like, no, they'll tell you about it. And everybody just looked around. So it was as if they're, they're lying there and we're going out and they started singing while we're there. And uh, one by one, it came from, like, no, Gavin, the tongue, there's Glider, there's me, and everybody kind of just caught each other eyes at the, the same time and went what the <laughs> right and, and that was it and we burst out laughing and like it was as if that halted everything that they were doing a psychological thing by the manager or whatever but it backfired on them so we came out the tunnel in hysterics you no know, just laughing at them right onto the you no know, video do the uh, the red carpet stuff and all that but ask any one of them and I'm sure they'll remember that. What were your what's Certain your nerves anyway? Yeah, what's your memories of um, when you got back to Sligo after the win? Do you remember yeah. anything? Like when I came over to Sligo, like uh, asked how how far is it to to Galway? How far is it to Dublin? How far? How long's the journey? And it, it was, everybody would say three hours, three hours, <laughs> right? That type of thing. The roads are much better now. That's the longest journey ever. <laughs> 
leaving Dublin to get back to Sligo. Like, it's surreal. Like, leaving Dublin, you would see cars with the flags out and maybe the odd person on the road with a flag. But see, when we crossed the Shannon, it was mayhem. Absolutely mayhem. Bonfires out in Johnny, Johnny's town. Mm-hmm. Oh, off the bus, stopped the bus, and like, no, it was like that every town uh, right to Sligo. And as soon as you come in, uh, the top of Sligo, uh, Pierce Road, it, it just, it was just, uh, yeah, it was just like lined with people, no, all the way. And when we came down towards the, uh, like, no, the, the town centre, it was just mayhem, mayhem. And uh, it was a, a thing that I'll, I'll never ever forget. No, I'd won cups and leagues with Celtic, but you go to the hotel to celebrate. That that's the way it is. Nothing on the streets, but to see the no, the, it wasn't just the town. It's it's the the whole county and and beyond that came to celebrate. And the that night down at the the town hall was amazing, yeah. absolutely amazing, and. It, it was unbelievable because the celebrations weren't just one night. It went on for about a fortnight, honestly. It was uh, just special, really, really special. The boys out the top of the, the bus. And uh, and I was just thinking that, uh, looking at the cup final at the weekend there uh, with uh, Shamrock Rovers and Dundalk, no, that, that is a massive occasion that we had at its peak. You know, the, the amount of people that travelled from the county of Sligo, or people who come from Sligo that are living in Dublin, it's as if everybody turned up and supported us, and it was a horrible day. Yeah. But when you look at the, you know, the, the crowd that was there, uh, the celebrations, the amount of people, you know, there, was, there was no social distancing. You didn't <laughs> have to worry about that, that's for sure. Uh, it was just amazing. And I was thinking, along the lines of you know, these players, uh, how often do you get to a cup final? I know it's a replica in this occasion of the year before, but it's a special occasion and it was, it's was it been ruined by like no COVID yeah. Uh, yeah. and the celebration. But my God, did we make the most of it. So um, when did you, when did um, Celtic come calling again? Hey, uh, poof. When, 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 when did you, you know think, that you were going back? Well, what I found out, when I found out later, uh, after we, we won the cup and all the celebrations, Tommy Burns was at the cup final. Do you know that? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Oh. Right. He was at the cup final. And I think he was over for two things. To look at what I was doing, but also... Like no taking in a break with his family, no because the season had just finished there. Uh, he got appointed the manager, so must have must have known something was happening. Uh, he took in Paki Bona as his goalie coach, uh, Billy Stark as his assistant. Now Billy worked with me at, uh, and Tommy obviously at Kilmarnock, so they knew they knew me as a player at Celtic, but they knew me also, you know, prior to coming to Sligo. And if you remember, we got like uh, Kilmarnock over as well, you know, which was a good a good uh, occasion too, as well as Celtic coming and helping the, the fundraising uh, in 94. That was just before Lunacari uh, 
had lost his job or get sacked, whatever way you want to you know, describe things like that. Uh, so Tommy got the job and uh, what I was doing then was planning for the, the new season. Uh, we're looking at you know, securing the boys that we wanted. Uh, we knew we had to strengthen the, the, the squad, you know, the depth of the squad. And basically the, the most important thing for me was I went on holiday with the family. And uh, the one thing I wanted was where the, the artificial pitch is now. If you ever remember that, that was just like a field. Yeah. Uh, we managed to wear down a wee bit of area there uh, through the force thing that and Andy would come out with a lawnmower to try and keep a, say, maybe a 30 by 30 square, no, square area. Uh, there was one wooden kind of, I don't know what you would call it, pole with a couple of lights on it and that was the biggest thing I asked uh, Kevin to do for us, Kevin Dykes. Uh, no, give us a training area, give us something that we can you know, we can work on. We've got a lot of players here. Uh, and when I look back on it, you no, know, uh, the, the Southern Hotel were brilliant for us as well because you know the weather uh, yeah. in the area, you're not always able to get on grass uh, and you can't go on the pitch because you'll ruin the pitch and you want that to be as best as it can. So it was to get a training facility. And uh, when I came back, no, it was mainly the same. And uh, that, that was the, the, the thing, trying to get players and get the training facility. But the, the phone went uh, and it was Tommy Burns. And I think he'd done it the right way by asking to speak to me, you no, know, to... Uh, Kevin Dykes and uh, anyway it's one of the, the, the things where you have to listen and so I went over and uh, met with Tommy, Billy Stark, David Hay, Packy and whatever and sat in the office and uh, they all left it was just myself and Billy Stark and okay, they, made, they made us an offer uh, and told me the role that they wanted to do uh, and initially, I said no, uh, and the conversation went. Tommy, look, I'm a, I'm a manager now. I've got a team in Europe. Uh, it's a big thing for me to leave, uh, and like basically saying, like, no, I love what I'm doing. Uh, so it needs to be more than just a coach. Uh, and basically, they went out and asked me to go a wee walk as well so we never went to the pitch and whatever and like it says like come back in so I came back in then they made me a, another offer it was to head the whole youth development uh, and basically his uh, talk to me was that you know we've watched you like develop young players and the way you treat them uh, and how you've put this together like we'd love you to come yourself you can do do that and you you're the man in charge. You'll work with us when it's possible. You, you'll be in the dressing room for pre-match, post-match, that type of thing. Uh, and it'll be a learning environment for you. Uh, so that that was, uh, this is an offer that could take you to the next level or whatever. So he offered me a three-year contract and uh, I thought three years, that's a long time in your life. Uh, security, 
the family's been over in Sligo for two years now. Is it time to, you know, to go back home? And basically, we spoke to uh, Sligo uh, about compensation and things like that. And uh, we had a chat with, with Kevin and basically we decided, like, okay, like, uh, I'd like to go. And, uh, like, no, Kevin, the two Kevins were there talking and just making sure everything was right. And hopefully it was, uh, like, no, for me, uh, it became, like, massive. Like, no, the choice, because I was loving what I was doing. But yeah. initially I refused it and, like, then got the job I wanted. So that three-year ended up becoming 16 and a half year, uh, developing young players and uh, whatever. And one day the manager changes and brings in his staff and yeah. you're away. And that's it. So after that, it's been a roller coaster. The manager in Upesh, manager in Ross County, uh, Bristol City head of coaching, uh, working with Didi Haman at Stockport County as assistant, uh, and now back as head of recruitment at Celtic. So never ever did I, I think it would go that way. You know, from that first day I walked into Sligo, and that's gave me the platform you know, to have that career and. I think people ask you, you know, what's your big, biggest success? When I look back now, it's I left school at 16 and went into full-time football. Um, I'm 21 now and I'm still... <laughs> I'm 59 now, right? Okay, you're meant to laugh. I'm 59 now and I'm still full-time in football uh, and I think that's an achievement as yeah. well, but I've got so many memories, and I say that uh, like uh, I had a speech written out for last year, and uh, I went up onto the the kind of podium and I had it and I put it down, and I don't know how my speech came across, but I felt emotional because for myself, uh, my wife Mary. Uh, the family, uh, my two kids at school and whatever, it was uh, a big, big commitment. But it's probably the happiest days that we've had you know, in our life you know, as a family. Uh, it was a special time for us. And I think that special time is not because it was from the first day to the last day with, to work hard uh, and through a lot to get to that that stage and the joy and the, the people I think uh, you know, when I look at the boys I work with and the people about the club like no they're, they're, they were special and I don't think you know you would do anything for them I've mentioned Andy and, and Mickey at the, the early part of it you know, and like you no know, starting the lotto we've missed the, the lotto like uh, that was uh, I went to Kilmarnock and I knew that they were doing something you know, when I was there. And I went and met the people there. And uh, we came back. And I was going about the pub selling raffle tickets. <laughs> to get out a few. Yeah, we don't sell raffle tickets in here, that type of thing. And yeah. it was uh, oh, amazing. And uh, we got it going. And then like, oh, Frank, Frank Byrne came in and, and took it over. Yeah. Uh, the logistics of it. And well, that's when you know, packing my gown, people like that, Johnny Chada, Mary, uh, no, no, that's the life and blood, blood of the club. But yeah. 
I think they've seen how hard we were working and they worked their socks off as well for, for no, not, not for us, but for the club that they love. No, and, and like they're just special people. Yeah. You, you, one, of, one of the funniest things was, right, I need to get this in. Uh, my wife came down and she's moved over. She came down. Uh, I said, it's like, come down you know, after the wee man's back to nursery, that type of thing, and uh, come into the office, I'll make you a cup of tea. So she came in through the gates and, uh, like, no, I don't know if she's in the car park, but I just hear her shouting, why, why, why? <laughs> and I'm like, what's going on? She opens the door and goes, there's sheep on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like, honestly, that was it. You... That, the, the sheep were on the pitch. So <laughs> I got an hour, an hour's uh, kind of uh, agricultural lesson about how the sheep actually help the roots to grow. The way that they cut the grass with their teeth, right? It spreads the roots. You'll have the best pitch in Ireland. Come August, <laughs> you know well, what? A little birdie said. A little birdie said to me, "You have to ask him about uh, Mary's reaction the first time she went to the showgrounds." So I'm delighted. Well, that you was it. That, I'm that, you that told us that story. It. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Uh, so I was telling the, it was in the, the the team talk. I was telling the boys what happened, right? And uh, like no well hasty, like no the, like no there's a, a few chipping chippy chaps in there. Like, that's all right. Like, no, the grassroots might get better, but who's going to wipe the shit off my legs? <laughs> 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 who's, who's paying for my tetanus jag? No, this is all the things you got in the, the changing room. It was hilarious, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but I, after that, we did have a, a, a big, big improvement in the pitch, you know, with Andy. Yeah. You no, know, he, he just, uh, like, no, that was his, his baby. It's funny, like the things that you mentioned there that are still um, like the changes that happened while you were involved in the club. Um, Obviously, the infrastructure changes like the lights coming in, uh, the revenue generators like the lotto that started, the improvements to the pitch. I'd say there was never any there was never sheep on the pitch after uh, after 94. But, you know, there, there were significant changes to how the club presented itself to, you know, to the league and to the community. But listen, Willie, we could talk all night, but just be- before we let you go, um, you know, was it difficult looking um, at the club while they were playing in Europe and, you know, you kind of, you couldn't be there? Well, I, I don't know if you, you remember, like, uh, the way the timing went, uh, I had to go over to Celtic. Uh, I think it was only days before the boys flew out to Floriana. Uh, in Malta, and uh, like, we're wishing them all the best, and Chris knowing, uh, so the team was ready, and I uh, was in contact with Chris at that time, and absolutely wonderful that, that they got through, and uh, the Northwest Radio asked me to come over for the Bruges game, and uh, I was up in the, the gantry area, and I was kicking every ball. Uh, the team was you know, probably the team that you're, you're going to pick yourself. And I predicted, actually, the, the substitutions, how it was going to go. Like, no, you're trying to commentate in the game, but you're, it was a weird yeah. Yeah, situation. Like, no, you were in your mind and through the game as if you were still, still the manager. Uh, if, if you understand what I'm saying, it was just a surreal thing. It wasn't like... A, 
like commentating in the game uh, or giving you were engrossed in the game, and uh, it was uh, a brilliant performance. And I'm lucky, like, no, uh, never get through. But I, I got my chance to manage in Europe uh, with uh, Upest, and uh, I remember it was a uh, style Bucharest that we played, uh, and uh, it was nil nil at half time. And thirty five thousand like ultras, <laughs> like no, being for your head. And I remember walking. Joe McBride was my, and I said, "This is what it's all about." No, it was magic, and I can just imagine the boys like no in Bruges, no like having that same feeling. Uh, I do always look back and say like no, it'd have been brilliant to take the boys into Europe and have that experience. And uh, football, you no, you can't look back. You've always keep going to, you know, look forward. You know, what what you're doing next, how you can develop yourself, and even at my age you now, like I still feel as if I'm a young manager, uh, and learning. And I've had great people to, you know, since when you look at going back to Celtic, uh, that went with Tommy Burns. Uh, then there's uh, Bim Janssen, Joseph Vengloss. John Barnes and Kenny Dalglish, uh, Martin O'Neill, Gordon Strachan, uh, Ronnie Dyla, Brendan, Neil. You know, just amazing people, amazing uh, coaches, managers, and all different. And you learn wee bits and pieces from So I still feel, as I said, 21. So I might have a managerial career ahead of me in the future. I don't yeah. know. But uh, yeah. I've really enjoyed it. And that's where, in my heart, like, you no know, Sligo is. Because that was uh, like no, you asked earlier about being a gamble. But it was an opportunity, and taking that opportunity, I'm still you no know, in professional football. And if I didn't go there, what would what would have happened? You might be have been in and out the Kilmarnock team, go to a lower club, and you just, you just never know what can happen. So. For me, it's a special time in my life because it's triggered things uh, and gave me so many experiences. But the experiences of being the manager of Sligo Rovers was special for me. Uh, and it was the people that you work with that made it that. And the crowd, the crowd were just amazing. And they came they came from far and near because you mentioned Mary's uh, family, the Brady's. Yeah. So they were from out Carney Way and they would be coming in and they were coming from Riverstown and and you you know yourself they came from all over to watch us in, in their days and it's it's uh, brilliant and it's great to see going back to the stadium now you know, the developments there because that's needed in the, the local area for homegrown talent for, for Sligo Rovers and they're doing very well and obviously Coleman from Killebegs away to Everton and yeah. Uh, there's a few players in the, in the squad that now that are doing well. The boy Monaghan uh, doing well. You know, it's a case of uh, keep that going. Uh, so, and I'm glad, I'm glad to see that the FAI have, uh, I think it's today, that they've announced that the 17s and 19s will will uh, continue over the next three rounds. So mm. all, all great great news for them. It's a, a real tough time for young, young uh, footballers. No, they virtually missed a year of their development. Yeah, uh, huge. Hopefully they can make it up. Yeah. Listen, Willie, on that note, um, well, I, actually, before we go, I was also told to tell you that the McLeans of Maharao say hello 
Okay, thanks a million to uh, Willie McStay for joining us um, and giving us so much of his time. Really great to speak to him. Uh, great memories, Dunner. Uh, I don't know, what age were you in 1993, 1994? Seven. What are you, do you have any memories of that period in the showgrounds? Um, yeah. Yes. If I remember being there the night the lights went on, I remember obviously going to the cup final with me old lad. Jeez, uh, I have serious memories from that. I can remember Magoo and all the boys in Cedar Drive Lushing cans that morning <laughs> <laughs> down the alleyway. I remember all yeah. that. Uh, no, I, 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 even the even the games in the showgrounds leading up to it, the semi-finals and that the replays, unbelievable. Eh? Yeah, Great I memories of the run then. Yeah, even like the likes of Ricardo, Gabby, Adini, and uh, watching them play football, was mesmerizing. They were like superstars to me when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, they were. Uh, it was an incredible time, and the, the lights were made all the difference because didn't they? Really, yeah. Yeah, like I was saying, I think it's the first time that um, the club really got to you, I think. It's before that, I remember a Sunday afternoon, um, you used to get money of the mother to go to the showgrounds and you'd buy sweets or fags or something, you'd hop the wall down and you'd come in and watch, you'd come in and watch a game of football, like sitting in the stand. But the, the minute the lights were turned on, it, it turned into something different altogether. It was like a proper stadium, a proper, like Sundays you'd come in, you'd, I remember always the smell of, the deep heat or the wintergreen from the dressing rooms, yeah. the players would be putting on it, but that was all gone when it was under lights. It was a completely different atmosphere and different feeling around the place. You could smell the burgers and chips, and you could smell the buzz, like yeah, you yeah, smell yeah. the buzz. That's what it was. Yeah. You smell it, and you could feel it in the air. It was just completely different. It's the first time it really got to me as a yeah. as a as a fan that really got to the hairs in the back of your neck and all that kind of stuff. Just you couldn't wait. The minute the game was over, you couldn't wait for the next game. The shed was born properly then as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like because before that, we used to sit over and, as I say, you'd hop over the wall and you'd scurry into the closest thing before anybody saw you. And you were sitting over in that, remember the old stand under where the crow's nest used to be on half of the Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. the minute the lights came on, we we gravitated around towards the shed, like, and you'd, you'd I remember you'd, you'd, you'd do your years and, and the shed, like, you'd, the first year you'd stand at you'd stand at the bottom step, and then next year you'd, you'd be allowed to move back a step, yeah. and then you'd progress until you got to the back wall. It was great. Yeah, remember yeah you that was put, the first. Remember you going into the shed and remember you had the cut off pieces of paper when you used to score a goal. The confetti used to go up in the air. Then yeah, <laughs> it's a mental place that. Yeah, yeah, uh, good memories. Okay, listen, we need to get out of here. Um, 
We've been on for probably close to two hours at this stage now. Um, just to say thanks to our sponsor, Milligram Coffee on Wine Street. Um, there's a big announcement by the club uh, tomorrow. I presume you're going to be listening. Most people will be listening to this on Wednesday. Or if you're listening on Friday, you'll know what the big announcement is. Um, so we look forward to seeing what that is. We look forward to more signings. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks a million for joining us. Magoo, thank you. Cheers, Connor. Connor, thank you. Thanks a million, Connor. All right, lads. Uh, we will talk to you next week.